Hello, everyone. Uh, we're just real quick checking in to be like, hey, JK Rowling's a monster. We're going to talk more about it soon. We have a thing planned. It'll probably come out like sometime in the next two weeks, but we're not going to talk about it today because we recorded this episode a couple weeks ago and it's a two-hour episode even without us talking about it at the top so so yeah just uh keep keep an eye out for when we upload this i don't want to say a very special episode that makes it sound ridiculous uh just a little bit of a reflection i guess <laughs> literal dumpster fire human um but on lighter news we have some patrons to thank Woo! um just want to shout out uh Krissa, Katie, Sam, Jane, Catherine I, JR, Kat, Corden, um, Catherine P, and Rachel. Thank you so much. Your support enables us to do this podcast, and it definitely somewhere is making your turf angry. So look at the good work you're doing. <laughs> yes yes we actually recently met our second goal on patreon which means that we are now making 15 dollars an hour for one episode's worth of work per month which is Woo! huge thank you all so much that's a really big deal um we're still working through thanking everybody and we definitely have not said all of the names yet but please know that even if we haven't read your name yet, we still are oozing love and appreciation, but less gross than that made it sound. <laughs> I was, was going to be like, I was, I was going to be like, what is another word you could use? Um, but I'm, on, I'm honestly blanking out. <laughs> Radiating. Radiating is good. Yeah, words are hard. Yeah, it's fine. They know what we mean. We are, we are, we are full of love for each and every one of you. Yes, we are. It is keeping us going in this just absolute shit show of a world. So thank you. And with that, The Gaily Prophet operates under the assumption that you have read the books. If you haven't read the books, go and read them. They're wonderful. And then come back to us. Otherwise, you're going to be spoiled. And that's your choice in this world. Gay people love puns. I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast. Well, this book causes Satanism is left for us to rant about. There is nothing straight about Plum Velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about <laughs> Harry Potter. Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a humorous yet ruthless podcast where two queer IRL witches read Harry Potter and talk about it. I am America's favorite Griffin dandy, Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Griffin Dyker Chardonnay, Jesse Blount. And today we are talking about chapter 18 of The Prisoner of Azkaban 
Mooney, Wormtail, Patchbook, and Prongs. In which, the gang is seriously confused about Peter faking his death, a thing that even muggles do without magic, so I don't understand the confusion. Lupin gives us more exposition about the Marauders, himself, and Peter than we need during a time-sensitive crisis, a fact that's made clear when Snape creeps in under the invisibility cloak halfway through said exposition, having missed the whole Peter Pettigrew is alive and a rat part in order to catch everyone in the act. <laughs> yep. Uh, with us in the studio today to discuss what I will be referring to as the gay chapter yeah. is <laughs> Prana Abby Scanlon. Uh, Prana is a long-term lover of Harry Potter. It's her favorite problematic fave. She's a New Yorker by birth, a Midwesterner by choice. She identifies as queer, brown, first-generation American, small, fat, and anxious, among other things. She hates capitalism, but she still has to live within the system, so her job is that she's an anti-racism and equity consultant. She facilitates workshops and does coaching and strategic planning, and she is the co-founder of Moxie Consultancy Collective. Prana, welcome. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. Yeah. Very, very exciting. I also just want to like personally recommend your work to all of our listeners. Oh, thank you. You are my my personal consultant on <laughs> complicated <laughs> conversations and stuff. So Awesome. Yes. So let's do this. Let's start this newspaper off with today's headlines. Ooh. Remus Lupin declared daddy of the year. Sources say he acknowledged the <laughs> honor with a quiet confidence that left the Academy weak need and panting. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Thank you. <laughs> I some feelings about Remus Lupin in this chapter. Uh, same. <laughs> so uh, let's uh, let's turn to the front page where we talk about all the things that don't belong in other sections of the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Maybe starting with uh, Lupin's big daddy energy slash Sirius's like bratty bottom energy. So strong, so <laughs> sexy. <laughs> it was this. This actually is also my first thing. Where it's like. Okay, I guess, I don't know if it's the first page in a print copy, but in my e-reader, it's like ta- page two, where Lupin is like, serious, no! And you're just like, it's mm-hmm. just like, <laughs> that is a command, my dude. Yeah. <laughs> and then he points his wand at Ron and goes, you're going to hear me out, Ron, he said quietly. And you're like, okay, okay. <laughs> like, mm-hmm, I am going to, we're all going to hear you out, yes. Daddy Lupin. Like, great. Oh. <laughs> I completely agree that it establishes them in those roles, but also I feel like it establishes them as a couple. So Sirius and Lupin have been OTP for me for a very long time. And I think this chapter is really great fodder for what they're like as a couple. And, you know, I wouldn't say that my love philosophy is that opposites attract, but I do think that couples fit together like puzzle pieces and they balance each other out. And you really see that here. And Sirius is like so fired up and ready to go and ready to take action. And Lupin is much cooler 
And, you know, while Sirius is action-oriented and driven by this sense of justice, Lupin is more like, wait a minute, these kids need to understand. And he's, even in the midst of this very intense moment, he's leading with that, like, wanting them to be brought in and wanting them to be bought in and, like, I'm going to dictate how this goes and it's going to go at the speed of trust. And I think that says a lot about the two of them and how they balance each other out. Um, not just in this chapter, but in a long established romance, I think. Totally. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's canon. It's like, just like on the knife's edge of canon. Like yeah. if you don't read them that way, you're like doing a bad job of reading. I agree. <laughs> yeah, no. For real. Um, yeah. Hannah, what do you have here in the front page? Um, that is actually all that I wrote down. I already said it. <laughs> Great. Okay. Jesse, what do you got? <laughs> so, you know the the SpongeBob I'ma head out meme? Mm-hmm. So uh, Ron has an exact moment, which I feel like is really funny because I mean it's not it's like funny sad because poor Ron he has mangled the crap out of his broken leg he oh. is bleeding and scratch on his hands arms face and neck from scabbers mm-hmm. and he's just like so done. <laughs> Like this poor kid. Like, are you just in shock now? Because like you really need some medical attention. Oh my god. The second you brought up that meme, I was like, that is I know exactly what you're referring to. Like that is exactly what Ron does. Poor Ron. I know, poor Ron. He's really going through it. Yeah. Yeah. For really good reason. Yeah. A lot, yeah. a lot is happening, and it's just like, there's only so much you can take if you weren't in extreme amounts of pain and bleeding, probably kind of profusely at this point. Yeah. So, Hermione's, like, big Virgo energy research <laughs> situation in this chapter is so amazing. <laughs> she, she's like, I looked up all of the registered animagi. I'm so sorry to tell you that you are incorrect that Peter Pettigrew could possibly be an animagi. I'm just like, you're so incredible. And I love also, because we complain a lot about uh, Harry not appreciating Hermione enough, and Mm -hmm. like, Harry is like, I didn't even have enough time to like be adequately impressed with her in this moment, and I'm gonna need to revisit that, because holy shit, Hermione. So, I just want to celebrate her. I do think she she gets her props in this chapter, which is unusual. (laughs) Yeah, she doesn't usually get recognized for her prowess. Yeah, I I especially love that bit because I think as everyone probably knows by now, that is exactly the line of thought I would have been on. I'm like, well, who's on this registry? Let me check. There's probably like ten like mm-hmm. ten people in the past hundred years. That's fucking cool. What kind of animals would they look like? I need to know this information. <laughs> so I really related to Hermione having done all this and her being like, wow, that literally never occurred to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And I'm like, my dude, what is your brain like? But we know because we're in his brain all the time. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, he's stressed out. That's all. Harry is very stressed out. Everybody's stressed out. I know. All right. 
Uh, I have a question. Mm-hmm. So we learned that they built not just this tunnel, but this house mm-hmm. for Lupin as a werewolf, which means that it was a brand new house when it was an immediately a haunted brand new house Mm -hmm. which if this was in the u.s obviously we would it would be indian burial ground because that's the only new construction haunting trope that we have but this is the uk so Mm -hmm. like what i was like ley lines they love ley lines in the uk but like what like what would it be i don't know this is an excellent question i mean i don't know i mean there's a lot of I guess if we assume that Hogsmeade is potentially as old as Hogwarts, I mean, I'm sure some, like, fucked up shit happened on that that land at some point. Mm-hmm. It could have been like, oh, yeah, there's a ton of witch burnings right there back when it used to be the town square or blah blah Oops. I don't know. That's true. Or, like, this is where the Romans massacred an entire village or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Right. People in the UK, please write in and explain to us how new buildings become haunted in in your cultural uh, lore. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Also, Sarah, I just had this like image in my brain of like young Dumbledore like going to like the three broomsticks and just like making up shit about the like <laughs> drinking chat. It's like just spreading rumors everywhere. <laughs> I I heard I've heard of. Wing boars ate an entire school there 500 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> uh, uh, Jesse. Uh, I love Harry and Ron's sort of silent, are these dudes okay look? That I am 110% sure that they perfected the year before in Lockhart's class. Mm. very true nice throwback yeah okay so here's my last one is that i want us all to like for a moment get in the mind of severus snape hiding Mm. in the back of the room under the invisibility (laughs) oh my gosh at the moment where sirius is like what does snape have to do with it and lupin says he's here sirius sweating like (laughs) holy shit like snape was losing it because there was a long ass pause before lupin was like he's teaching at the school and i feel like that moment just stretched into eternity for snape (laughs) 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 oh my gosh um yeah so i have a i have a few more things Uh, okay i'm done so this is all you and I think we're going to probably get into it much in in later books. But were the Marauders at their peak in school basically the magical Hogwarts version of Jackass? Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, Lupin is like, oh, yeah, I feel really bad about all those near misses that we had. All those near misses we almost had. And, like, uh-huh. Sirius and James being big enough animals to subdue uh basically rabid wolf it's like mm-hmm. that is there's just so much left unsaid in this and the way that like lupin is sort of understating the things that happened in this like uh exposition yeah <laughs> like dude what the fuck were you guys getting into it's really funny 
I, a thing that I was thinking about a lot in this chapter is like the like juxtaposition that we get between what the Marauders are like at school and what our like, you know, golden trio is like at school and mm-hmm. like the fact that the Marauders are much more realistic teenagers than mm-hmm. Harry and Hermione and Ron are, but how it sort of makes them, the Marauders seem like, you know, people have such bad opinions of them because they're like, you know, wild and stuck up and whatever people think about them. But I think that might only be because we're only seeing them in comparison to our like child detectives who only singularly focus on solving mysteries and like don't do regular kid stuff. Yeah. And I feel like I really, I'm like, I was definitely more a marauder than I Mm -hmm. was a, you know, teen detective. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's both that piece of like, they're constantly trying to fix the thing or discover the thing is the trio. And also maybe this piece about the Marauders being four teenage boys and just like how boys are allowed to be in their teenage years, as opposed to how girls are expected or allowed to be. Um, That kind of gives them this space to, be a constant episode of Jackass or Punk or (laughs) whatever MTV show you want it to be. Um, And that's basically not only allowed, but almost like expected of those kinds of people. I feel like I don't have anything to add because I had a very, I was a very boring teenager. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was too. I never did anything along these lines. I mean, I I do feel like, though, teenage girls still often will, like, have wildness in other ways where it'll be, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, going to parties or, like, you know, there's still, like, a lot of rule breaking in, oh, yeah. in other forms that we still don't see. Mm-hmm. We don't really see any recklessness that isn't related to, like, trying to do right in the world from mm-hmm. our heroes of these stories. And, like, there's a lot of very, very reckless behavior for them, but it's all rooted in, like, goodness as opposed to just fun, which Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of teenage recklessness is, like, in the name of fun and also, like, not recognizing that you're, like, mortal. (laughs) Like, that your decisions can have negative consequences. Yeah. I think I just, at this point, just assume that, like, Harry is just never invited to parties, which seems very sad to me. Aww. Yeah. But also, like, they're like, that kid is going to, like, bring Voldemort. <laughs> so, like, we should invite him to our party. Which, I guess giving Harry's track record during the books, like, maybe isn't, like, the most ridiculous thing right. to have assumed, I guess. Yeah. That fear is pretty legitimate. Right. And also, I feel like Hermione would just shut down anyone trying to get them to go to a party so intensely that mm-hmm. people have just given up. They're like, yeah, <gasps> it's not worth it to even ask. She's scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, I feel like maybe Ron and when he gets a little bit older is invited to parties and then he's like out of loyalty to Harry and Hermione does not go. Aww. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Ron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Ron's, a, Ron's a good kid. That's he just he he would be like, no, it's fine. I'll just hang out in the library with Hermione. It's fine. 
<laughs> I feel like he does probably have some like actual fun times during the next book when he's not talking to <gasps> Harry and he's like yeah. hanging out with Dean and Seamus a lot. I bet Ron's like, oh wow. Hogwarts can be like kind of neat when you're yeah. not just like trying to save the world all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say the same thing because I think Seamus and Dean are actually like a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I also feel like Ginny's definitely having a lot of fun when things aren't when she's not sucked into sort of the like terrible tragedy that is Harry Potter's entire life. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. So Ginny is definitely going to parties. Yeah. Ginny is probably throwing parties. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, she's very fun. <laughs> Listen, I mean, Bill told someone about where he used to throw secret parties, and it definitely, unfortunately, wasn't wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> My last thing is about Harry, and once again, him not holding on to the fucking cloak. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, this is your most precious family heirloom that is also the most useful thing that you fucking own. And you're just fucking leaving it willy-nilly on... Everywhere. Where where did where did Snake find this? At the base of the Whomping Willow? Just, like, on Bro! the ground. We The last time we see the cloak, it's, like, streaming behind him and Hermione. And then presumably... They drop it and then don't go back for it. Uh-huh. No, what? What exactly? <laughs> and it's like, Harry, this. Do you need like a strap for it or like a be- like something <laughs> like wrap it around yourself? Like, like there has I, to be like a magic world version of those tile things. Where, like, <laughs> you know, like you have the Finder app. Yep. Harry, where, where is your cloak at any given time? Find my invisibility. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm just annoyed because I'm like, why? Why did you just leave it for Snape to pick up and then set this whole fucked up chain of events on? Like, my dude. Mm -hmm. Anyway. All right. So we are going to move to our first ever uh, personal essays section. Welcome to Personal Essays, where we hear about Prana's relationship to this chapter. Yay! Okay, so I was really excited to be asked to join y'all for this chapter because it paved the way for my all-time absolute favorite fan fiction, which is Shoebox Project. And Shoebox Project was a fanfic on LiveJournal around, I think like 2005 and the idea was that this was exploring a bunch of memorabilia from Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs and their time at Hogwarts in a shoebox that Lupin had stored under his bed and it had all kinds of stuff like letters and journal entries and photos and all of the associated memories that went along with these things from that time and them being animagi that go to visit Lupin was very central to that story. But also, this fanfic was my first exposure to Remus and Sirius Slash, and that was how I started shipping 
Lupin and Black. And honestly, that is my personal headcanon. I know we talked about this. Like, if you don't see it that way, you're probably wrong. <laughs> like, you're doing <laughs> Harry Potter wrong. <laughs> Sorry, but like, that's just a fact. Um, it's really hard for me to accept when people are like, that's not true. And side note, I will say it took me a long time because of that to become okay with Lupin and Tonks as a couple. Like, I didn't want to let go of Lupin and Black. And so that was really difficult. But um, as an adult, I have learned that I think Lupin had to do a lot of work, personal work, accepting that the love of his life was a murderer. And so it's understandable that even though he learned that this wasn't true, he couldn't just flip the switch and fall deeply back in love with his high school sweetheart. And so I forgive him and I do really love him with Tonks. But anyway, the shoebox project was really important to me as a teenage queer who didn't really know that she was queer or didn't have the concepts and the vocabulary to understand that who I was and how I felt was a valid form of queerness. And when I look back on it now, the shoebox project really explored a lot of the things that I love about queerness and queer community and how I identify with it. It goes into a lot of tenderness and intimacy between friends and chosen family and supporting people whose otherness is different than your otherness, but your other together. And so this chapter, which introduces James and Sirius and Peter learning to be and Magi so that they could visit Lupin, that that chapter made the Shoebox Project possible. And the Shoebox Project was both an important part of my own formation as a queer person, and it put the idea in my head and in my heart that Harry Potter is an extremely queer series, which of course we know is true. That's incredible. Yeah. Oh, I love everything about this. <laughs> Yeah, it was really, really special to me. So we will put a link uh, in the show notes to the Shoebox Project, which there's apparently a PDF, a website. There's something mm-hmm. that you can still read it and not have to dig through live journal. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for that. I'm super grateful and like so excited that that story synced up with the chapter that we got to have you on for. Yeah. Also, also, I'm gonna um, strongly suggest that Jesse's next fanfic for our Patreon be a serious Lupin, bratty bottom yes. daddy. Yeah, it's probably time that I write some, some fanfic for them. I do love, I do love them both so much. You also just really excel at writing power play fanfic. <laughs> so, just what? saying. It's not a thing that I thought I would would be true about myself. So this is this is this is an exciting journey for all of us. Um, you're you're really good at it. I'm so glad that you've unearthed that skill. <laughs> Uh, I will, we will definitely make sure that you have a copy whenever that gets ready. <laughs> yes. Welcome to the education section where we talk about this goddamn school. 
Uh, Prana, would you kick us off? Sure. Um, I was really interested in the approach to allowing a werewolf student for, I guess, the first time. So Dumbledore, as a non-werewolf, really wanted to be in allyship with Lupin and believed that he had an equal right to education as any other child, despite him being a werewolf. And he wanted to make that possible for him. But we also see that he was not willing to do the work of structural change. Um, And I think that this is really interesting. And, um, you know, rather than talking to people about why a werewolf student should be allowed and how they can make that safe, he just lies about the whole thing and literally takes it underground in a tunnel to a secret establishment. Um, And for me, I think that really maps on to a lot of the ways that I see quote unquote nice white people handling racism or really anyone of any race who is like, yeah, racism is bad and I want to change it, but I don't want to risk any relationships to make that happen. (laughs) So like schools do this to students of color all the time. And like, Jesse, I'm sure you have plenty of examples of this from your life. I can think of several from mine. Like, I have a really mild example from when I was in high school and I went to this conference at another school. And during the lunch break, there was a teacher who did a presentation about his trip to India. And he talked about how all the girls in India are abused and don't have access to education and they're all child brides. And like, what? yes those problems do exist and they are very, very serious problems, but those aren't blanket statements that you can make about the entire country and the entire population. And so obviously as an Indian American person, I was really upset about it. And so when I got home, I wrote this letter about how bad it was to misrepresent the truth like that and how India also has some feminist accomplishments and has outpaced America in certain ways. Um, And I showed it to my teacher and he agreed that it was really important and he let me share it with the class. But when I said I wanted to mail it to that guy who said all these things, he wouldn't let me. And he said that it would harm our school's reputation. And what I realized was what he meant was that it would hurt his reputation if I sent this to his colleague because he supported me and he knew that I was right, but he was not willing to rock the boat with this colleague in another school district that he wanted into. And so he knew that this speech was harmful and he wanted me to feel better, but he didn't want to actually work on changing people's minds. So I think that happens a lot at Hogwarts too. And I think that this is a prime example of like, okay, how can we like sort of fix it? How can we like put a bandaid on this situation, but not actually deal with any of the harm being caused. You you are exactly right. And it's like it's super frustrating because even in the 70s it's like what the fuck did Dumbledore have to lose? Like he's already headmaster. He's already known for defeating his ex, you know? It's like mm-hmm. what really would have been like, oh hey, we're letting this we're letting werewolves in now. Like what really would that have cost him? Yeah fucking nothing he does a bunch of unpopular ass shit all the fucking time and the and the purebloods blood still send their kids to hogwarts right he could have gone out on a limb for lupin mm-hmm. and it would have cost him nothing and it would have 
meant the world to kids like Lupin. Because he's, so it's, it's been like, what, like, at this point, 15 years or however the fuck many years it's been? Almost 20 years? Like, mm-hmm. Lupin is not the only kid in these, like, past, what, 20 classes of students who's been a werewolf. Like, the fuck right. do those kids do? Right. Right, because if no one knew that he did that for Lupin... Like, whatever parents were doing with their werewolf kids previous to, or, like, other parents who maybe Mm -hmm. weren't brave enough to be like, let's just see what the thing will be. I'm sure a bunch of other kids, like, just, their parents were just like, oh, we're homeschooling, or, like, or worse, right? Because who knows what parents do with their werewolf kids if they, like, can't homeschool, or, like, I think Mm -hmm. he, he had a real opportunity there to, like change the way that not just like the Hogwarts policy was but like how parents felt about their own children's futures and how like other people felt about werewolves Mm -hmm. Lupin is like I couldn't fucking get a paying job for the entirety of my adult life and it's because of like shit like this everybody being like oh werewolves are like those people who can't do anything they're gonna like try to fucking attack and it's like And of all the wizards in the world, Dumbledore had the reputation and the trust of enough people that he would have been a person to be able to influence change unlike pretty much anybody else. And it was just such a lost opportunity, not only for werewolf children, but, you know, I think being able to see the accommodations that other people get make space for all kinds of accommodations. So not just werewolf children, but like who knows what other um, issues that people were having that kept them from going to Hogwarts that if they had seen like, we're going to take care of Lupin in this way and make sure that he can still receive his education, that other people would have been able to ask for that as well for whatever their need was. And it's just such a lost opportunity. Yeah. If we're, even though we like, reject out of hand the whole like HIV allegory thing thinking about it potentially from that standpoint I think a thing that's interesting as someone who's worked in childcare, like mm-hmm. the policy in the U.S. at least as of I don't know 15 years ago the last time I worked like in a like facility doing childcare, mm-hmm. is that if you work in or I don't know if the other stu- like if the parents have to know also, but at least the people who work at um, like a daycare or a school or something where a child with HIV attends, you just get told that a child has it and not mm-hmm. like they'd never they don't tell you which child. And it's just like if you need to like do a bandaid or whatever, you need to make sure that you're following all of the rules. Yeah. Which is interesting to think about, like. Even if the even if his excuse was like, oh, he didn't want the other kids to like treat Lupin poorly, could they have implemented some sort of policy that would have been like, there is a werewolf mm-hmm. in the student body, and like, I don't know, so like everyone's excused during the three days of the full moon, or yeah. like, you know, here yeah. are here are these accommodations that we're that we're doing, and like, you don't all need to know who it is, but just like that we are. Mm-hmm that we are establishing these these policies that make it so that werewolves can comfortably attend the school. Oh, that would be so beautiful. Uh, I feel like we would also, it would be it would be remiss if we didn't also bring up the sort of uh, a, a, accommodations 
that were made for Lupin and sort of the view that like the way that people who have disabilities are are and more often are not accommodated <laughs> in an mm-hmm. education system. So Lupin Lupin lays out to us that like what they came up with was the Whomping Willow and a tunnel and mm-hmm. a haunt and a like empty house for him to basically attack himself for eight hours or yeah. well or like what the three days so like I don't know math. However much time that is <laughs> Of him spending three nights in the Shrieking Shack, ripping himself to pieces, and then, like, Madame Pomfrey, like, doing whatever she can and sending him on his way is, like, really shitty accommodations, actually, for being in a magic school. Like, yes, (laughs) like, the point of this is plot reasons why we need to be in the Shrieking Shack and all this shit, but in reality... You're in a giant fucking magical castle where you're potentially not even using like a third of it. Like mm-hmm. there isn't a dungeon they couldn't have put him in right. with like something to make him just like be knocked out or like at least not hurting himself for three right. days. Like dreamless right. sleep potion, me? for instance. Even a scratching post, so he has nothing else to scratch. Like, right? Yes. Come on. Right. One of those, like, enrichment balls they give to, like, zoo animals that's just, like, filled with, like, I don't know, whatever they fill those balls full of meat paste for, like, wolves and bears (laughs) to, like, engage with. Like, something. Totally. I don't know. I guess I was was thinking about it because uh, because I have a variety of learning disabilities. I've had Mm -hmm. a wide range of U.S. education accommodations for that of varying degrees of okay to terrible <laughs> so yeah. i'm just kind of like yeah just like taking this one kid out and like hiding what's going on and like what's happening with him is like fucked up as opposed to just being like he has a disease that mm-hmm. you know causes him great pain and suffering and has the potential of harming people but if we take these precautions everyone everyone will be cool it'll be fine you know yeah 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 so like Good for having accommodations, but also the accommodations could be so much better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about, like, I have a lot of issues with, like, my wrists and hands and, like, writing mm-hmm. for a long time is pretty much impossible. And I, yeah. one of my more recent, ex- like, attempts to go to school, <laughs> I was doing science classes. And so, like, in chemistry class, you have to, like, write everything on, like, carbon paper whatever mm-hmm. and you have to take all of your notes in like in lab in writing mm-hmm. and the only accommodation the school would give me was that I was allowed to like take extra time to write my stuff down and I was like I don't need more time like it it hurts like right. I just like can't I just can't do this um I need to type it and they were like well you can't like because we're teaching you how to work in a real lab or whatever. And I was like, well, one, I'm not going to be a chemist. And two, like, <laughs> I don't think that's really reasonable. And they were like, well, we might be able to have someone else like write it for you, but you don't want someone else to have to do all of your writing for you for the rest of your life. Do you? And this was like the <gasps> disability so person at the college, like not my teacher, like the person in charge of disability accommodations. And I was like, I'll just take the extra time. Thank you. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I feel like I've met a lot of really mean people who work. Yeah. Who are supposed to be helping kids with like disability issues in school. Like I've Mm -hmm. met a lot of mean people, which I'm like, that's fucked. 
Yep. I don't know. I should, yeah. I have a very, I actually have kind of a similar story to you, Lark, but I think for, in the interest of time, we will. <laughs> Our last couple episodes have been really short. It's fine. I just, I have a, what I realize now is a, like, language handwriting disability that's, like, sort of part of the, like, umbrella of dyslexia. But mm-hmm. it, when I was in elementary school, like, I would have help with that, but in reality, not the help that I needed, because it was never like, oh, yeah, you have this specific thing. We'll just make you write more and that'll help your handwriting it's like no but when i was when i was in elementary school it was like right when you know there were computers in school but like now people had computers in their home Mm -hmm. so i'd like learn how to type on a computer because my handwriting was bad but like i don't remember if it was the person who was like working with me who was like the head of the like student disability whatever or maybe it was actually the principal who was like well you can't just like use a computer for everything so you really need to learn how to like write and spell and every day for the and like like every week for the past 15 years i'm like suck it look at that no one's look no one's learning cursive anymore fuck you oh, and so i feel i mean it, and like the fact that i still think about a thing that happened to me when i was like eight yeah is like so fucked up but i'm also like welcome to the future no one has to write anything so <laughs> But, like, that stuff really sticks with you. And it's so formative for young children. Like, I feel exactly the same about some of the things that teachers or school administrators or, you know, like, coaches or whatever said to me when I was between the ages of 6 and 10 are some of the things that I, like, still have issues with because they really sunk in and impacted how I thought about myself. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> wah, wah. Oh yeah. man, schools are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> but also, sometimes it's homeschooling, so it's like maybe it's just lose lose. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So. Yep. <laughs> anyway, poor Remus Lupin. I think is really the <laughs> the, 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 the subheader of education. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. My only other thing here is also like heart remus lupin because he just kicks right into teacher mode when hermione's like that's impossible and he's like let's talk about that hermione like he just so ready to hear her out and like he's so gentle and Mm -hmm. you deserve that teacher of the year award that i gave you many many (laughs) chapters ago lupin you're doing a great job i know even even in the situation which is like so emotionally fraught and Mm -hmm. like deeply personal he's like yes let me let me hear your explanation for this, Hermione. It's also so I know we're not in the next chapter yet, but we are like just pages away from when Snape literally calls Hermione stupid. Mm-hmm. And so that like side by side of Lupin being like, Yes, everything's really urgent right now, but I am actually gonna slow down and like hear you out and be mm-hmm. super respectful of all of the work that you've done is like, Yep, this is important. You're a good human yeah. right i mean even though he ends up telling her that she's incorrect because it's like jk <laughs> i know so many of the understood anybody running around but good job <laughs> but like even that in and of itself is a lesson that she needs to learn and he's taking the time to help her learn it that doing homework and reading all the books doesn't give you all of the information that you need and he wants her to know that and i think that comes in handy for her later mm-hmm yeah, and I, mean, I think this is a kind of on the cusp of where 
Hermione has like some faith in the system, which I think pretty much disappears by the end of this book. So. Mm. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the politics section where we talk about things that are fucked up. <laughs> what a description. <laughs> It's true. It's <laughs> the most distinct description. I, feel. <laughs> I literally just have werewolves get a raw ass deal, and so I figured we Thank could just you. talk about. I feel like just how fuck the werewolves. It's like such a such the short end of the stick. Yeah, and like, why is this wolf Spain potion like so inaccessible? And, like, to the point where he's talking about, like, how he can't hold down a job, and it's not fair. Yeah. And, I mean, you're only a werewolf, like, three days out of the month. The fact that this impacts the rest of the werewolves, like, entire lives so completely is just, Mm -hmm. it's just so fucked. It's so fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean... As, both as a person with like chronic illness disability and as a person who when I still had periods they were like bad enough that I couldn't function when I was having it I'm like three mm-hmm. days a month that you have to be off is like a very reasonable thing that yeah. like lots of people have to take three days a month off for a variety of reasons yep. so like chill the fuck out everyone like it's mm-hmm. not it's not that big a deal it's not a big deal actually fucking be accommodating yeah i mean again what are happening to all these werewolves who aren't who are witches but aren't getting any kind of and i want to preface by saying that going to hogwarts as we've seen is not that great of an education but it still is an education you can get in which you can you make the necessary connections in order to like get a job later Mm -hmm. on and like be a part of the society and the fact that werewolves are cut off from that very arbitrarily is such an issue Mm -hmm. and it's really unfortunate that the the werewolves that we end up meeting later in the book are on the sides of death eaters and don't and seem to really be into the whole maiming people part because there's got to be just a ton of people who are just like this unfortunate thing happened to me and now my entire life is fucked because society sucks. Which, right. <laughs> what a topical <laughs> issue that is. Yeah, I mean, of course of course, they go with death eaters because you take this vulnerable population that has no access to anything and they're just left without anyone to care for them in any sort of way. And so even the smallest bit of attention from the death eaters is like, yeah, of course, we'll do whatever the heck you want because then at least we have something. And I think you absolutely see that with people, that we leave these vulnerable populations and then expect for them to somehow magically care for themselves without any resources and then get upset when they find those resources. Yeah. It's kind of, for me, and this I feel like happens in real life, where it's like, so you deny folks of education and an opportunity to, like, live a life, really. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and then you're shocked when they're angry. It's like, where do you, yeah. where where else was their rage going to go? <laughs> like, right. of course, they're going to have a deep-seated rage ab- about, like, because none of this is their fault. It's that, 
Society is like, well, we decided that you're going to have this shitty life because fuck you. Yeah. And yeah, people are going to be fucking angry about that. <laughs> and I it's really... like... Can someone please write us a fanfic that's like just a series of tweets from like werewolf Twitter? So good. I I want that so badly. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, so uh while werewolves are not a very good metaphor for uh HIV AIDS, they are in fact a really good metaphor for or can be a good metaphor for uh being marginalized, turns out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do feel like though I think that like I still find the issue of them like siding with the Death Eaters to be problematic because even though the Death Eaters are like, yeah, you can like be one of us, they still are like very openly hostile to the werewolves that we mm. see them with. And like we see even like Bellatrix by like proximity to Tonks, who is having a child with Lupin, like being torn down for like being related to someone who's procreating with a werewolf so like i don't i i i guess i just don't buy it like i can totally see like a werewolf separatist society happening or like you know any other sort of backlash happening as a result of the way that they're treated but then like siding with literal fascists who are like super bigoted against everyone who's not a pureblood wizard still feels like a stretch to me i mean i i agree with that and i wish i mean really in a lot of ways that there was more of a gray area because we really get like we get like lupin and then we get grayback and his crew and they're where are this the middle ground (laughs) werewolves who are like i just want to go to school and maybe have a job and like live around people yeah and not have to side with fascists (laughs) you know it's the fact that we don't see that that like nuance which should be there and is not there it's very hard i mean it's like as with everything it's like if you can't if you can't finish your allegory don't start the allegory and like the problem lies with jk rowling's absolute inability to do allegories correctly yep yeah it took me a long time to realize this longer than it should have but she really is a terrible writer (laughs) yeah (laughs) like uh yep Mm -hmm. so it's actually I don't want to say funny. I feel like I didn't... Like, there was obviously some things that I realized when I was reading the books when I was younger, but when I was, like, maybe a senior in high school, I found at the library this book of, like, critical essays about Harry Potter, and I was like, I want to read critical essays about Harry Potter. And I read it, and I'm like, oh, shit, you're right. All these things are really fucked up. (laughs) Like, there there is an essay specifically about how racist the books are and the fact that it's all very, like, neoliberal we have some token brown people and i'm like oh wow you're so right and then it's just like uh i should find the name of that book it was very good yeah it's very eye-opening for me i should look for that where are we politics prana did you have a politics yes so i was thinking about the registration of animagic and like why there's a registry What's it for? What gets done with the registry? Obviously, anybody who wants to has access to it, I think. I mean, like, Hermione didn't make it seem like she needed to do some shady shit to see it. Right. 
So, like, I know towards the end of this chapter, Lupin talks about how he had considered telling Dumbledore that Sirius could be in the form of Padfoot and that the search for this criminal should include searching for a big black dog. But I also can't help but wonder, like, why was this registry created? Is there a story behind that? Are there nefarious reasons behind wanting to track people who have this skill? I'm just always suspicious of, like, tracking a certain kind of people. Yeah. That is an excellent point. Yeah, that's a great question. Lupin says something about, like, how it can go, like, terribly awry, and that that's part of why it's so carefully overseen. But, like, there's a difference between, like, you need specialized training in something and, Mm -hmm. like, we're going to put you on a registry. (laughs) Like, I don't think those things have the relationship that he's implying that they have. Right. At all. I wonder if historically there was just, like, a lot of Animagi-related crime that happened. Yeah, maybe. And, you know, you also have to wonder, like, I get that these were supposedly, or at least in James's case, like, very talented wizards. But, like, if three teenagers could figure this out, like, there's got to be more unregistered, (laughs) like, just roaming around. Totally. I also want to clarify that I didn't mean to imply that, like, there being Animagi-related crime would excuse right. there being a registry. I don't I don't think that. No, but I could see somebody turning that into, oh, here's why we have to track them. Right. Yeah, that, that was definitely some terrible Minister of Magic's-like talking point to be like, mm-hmm. we gotta put them all on a registry. What if it's more like you have to get a license like getting like a fishing license or something like that it's like if you're gonna like do this thing that you know whatever we require you to get a license for that and then like that just gets put on a list for whatever reason of like who has i think you can look up who has like hunting and fishing licenses right i don't know now that we have google i don't know anything about hunting (laughs) i haven't actually gotten my hunting license so i don't know but, like, can you look up people who have a driver's license? You can look up anything. I probably. <laughs> Jesse, you looked like you were going to say something. Uh, I was going to mention that I don't think whatever crime would justify being put in a registry. Mm. I definitely could also see someone being like, oh, it's for your safety. You don't want to be a horse on a magi, and then someone tries to make you into glue, or I don't know. <laughs> what? <laughs> know like what what a choice we will find all kinds of reasons to convince people that they want to be tracked yeah i mean right like the ministry doesn't want to have to bail out dog and cat on imaji from being loose in a muggle village with no tax (laughs) we gotta we gotta gotta know where you're at To protect the statute of secrecy, you can't, like, transform once you get taken to the pound. And so oh my someone gosh. needs to be able to protect you before that happens. Is, is, this a, is this a thing that has at some point happened to Sirius? Oh, my God. Imagine McGonagall Definitely. getting taken to the pound as a cat. Oh, no! Oh, no! <laughs> Too much. Uh, we have We have gone... Off track. (laughs) (laughs) 
Welcome to Editorials, where we rant about stuff. Which I think it's... No, I know. It's finally time to, like, just yikes out about the whole Peter Pettigrew as a rat, like, sleeping in Percy and Ron's beds and, like, all of the things that are, like, so terrible about him being a human but pretending to be someone's pet rat yep you know it takes a lot of commitment to fake your own death in which you live 12 years as someone's pet rat i think someone points out though that like he literally didn't need to do that like he chose to stay like in the witching world because he totally could have just gone as a rat to like i don't know any country that borders like fucking fucking Ireland, it's like across. Right. A, you could swim as a rat, I think, and like just start a new life. Mm-hmm. Pretend to be a muggle and start a new life. Like there's just no reason for this to be a thing that he that he did. So, right. I I really am not okay with it. Yeah, the implications are very upsetting. Can we think about for a second, like, all the things that Ron's going through has to include at least somewhere in his subconscious, like, this adult man has, like, been riding around in my, like, weird robe pocket and sleeping in my bed for the past who even knows how many years. That is so creepy and just, like, ah, that's gonna stay with him for such a long time. Yeah, Ron's gonna be super fucked up about that. For yeah, sure. Like, think about the trust issues he's gonna have for life. He's never gonna have another pet. No. Oh, I guess he does have Pigwidgeon, but Pigwin yep. doesn't sleep in his bed or right around his pockets. So. <laughs> yeah. And, like, it's even, it seems even more fucked up because, like, even before Scabbers was Ron's pet, he was Percy's pet. So, like, Ron, like, spent a lot of time with probably Percy, like, hand feeding him food from the table and Mm -hmm. like you know hanging out with the family in the living room like you know yeah fucking just terrible it's just really terrible yeah i would feel very uncomfortable yeah and especially because like and i mean i did this when i also had pet rats but like you have a pet like you're like putting it to your face and you're like kissing it and you're just like i love you so much and it's just like Thinking about that being, like, a grown-ass man pretending to be a rat is just so uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess we don't know, like, how affectionate Ron is to Scabbers, but he's still a kid that, like, yeah. loves his pet rat. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, the unconditional love between a child and their pet of any species is really real. And for that, to, like, to be realizing that this creature that you thought you loved so much and who loved you back because you know people definitely feel that way about their pets that their pets love them and to know that that's all a lie and not only is it a lie but actually it's this grown man who has been spying on you and has this violent disgusting history that impacts you and your family and your best friend and Ah, there's so many ways and this is so upsetting. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about like how weirded out I get when my dogs like appear to understand something that I say like yeah. that is not a command that they should know where I'm like, 
what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my god. Like, <laughs> I would be so upset if it was like, oh my god, you're like secretly, you've secretly been a human like all this time. That's Listening and just judging. and terrible. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like Ron doesn't really get the space to fully process that. They're mm-hmm. all just like, okay, like now you know. Let's kill the guy. (laughs) He's like, wait a second. Like, this is an extremely traumatic piece of news that impacts everything that he, like, knows about himself and his life and how he lives it. Yep. I'm just imagining Ron is that dad who, like, his kids are like, "Uh, we want a pet. And he's like, we need to make sure your pet isn't a person. (laughs) They're like, fuck. <laughs> They're like watching for twenty minutes while like Ron and Hermione are like throwing potions and doing all this shit and be like, "All right, this puppy is good. You're good to go." <laughs> oh and you're just like, "What? What is happening?" <laughs> uh, yep. And it's not. I mean, in reality, so much trauma to unpack, but it is a little bit funny to think about all like the funny quirks that would happen out of this. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you made sure your pet is an animati in disguise, because let me tell you the story. Ron, like, pays to put out, like, public service announcements on the wizarding wireless radio. He'd be like, have you checked? <laughs> this potion can help you make sure that your oh pet gosh. is an actual animal. <laughs> that is definitely his future career. Uh. I mentioned this at the, begin- at the beginning of the episode. I'm just, like... The trio is so upset about the idea of so of like someone faking their death. What? And I'm like, you live in a magical world. This is like not even the most ridiculous thing outside the room possibility yeah. that happens. We see it like what? At least another one time in this book. And it's kind of like, y'all, I know it doesn't happen all that often, but as long as you're willing to live a very constrained life, people try to fake their deaths, you know? Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's because even though Harry and Hermione were brought up in the witching world, I feel like the sort of true crime TV kind of stuff that we were brought up on is sort of an American thing to be Mm. super, super into. So maybe a thing that we just are like, (laughs) yeah, we grew up watching America's Most Wanted. Why not? Uh, Unsolved Mysteries. Oh my gosh. Unsolved Mysteries (laughs) Gave me nightmares. Like, even just that, like, theme music would, like, freak me out. It gave me so much anxiety as a kid. <laughs> yeah, I I did watch Unsolved Mysteries, but yeah, whenever it was, like, the mugshot of somebody, they're like, this guy is wanted for murder. It would always make me convinced they're going to come to my house and murder me. That person is definitely my next door neighbor. Right. Yeah, and so it was. It was very anxiety written for mm-hmm. me. Uh, but it's all on. It's all on YouTube if you want to watch it. It's <laughs> much less scary as an adult. I did watch the Netflix reboot. That is very. It is very creepy. I watched the first episode. I'm like, this is too intense. <laughs> <laughs> too intense for Jesse. It's a wow. lot. <laughs> the first one is very upsetting. So I don't. And I don't know. And it's something, but it just like fucking creeped me out. People will definitely tweet at us if I'm wrong about this. They love to be like, Lark, what the fuck? Why do you make so many assumptions about other countries? And not, we do things. Because <laughs> we're American. That's our job. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Like, uh... Sorry, I know that people in France don't celebrate Halloween, and therefore I assume it's only Americans. And Canadians are like, excuse us. Ugh. Do you know that we're here? And I'm like, no. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. 
Yeah, uh, one of the biggest failings of the U.S. education system is that we know liter- next to nothing about anything that happens in other countries. Correct. Yeah. So, I'm sorry everyone who doesn't live in the U.S. <laughs> this is this is our lives. It's not our fault. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the thing about Lupin is like, oh, I think Snape was, like, jealous of James being good at Quidditch. Is, mm. like, is this his attempt to shield Harry from having to find out about the whole Lily thing or does he mean it in which case like why would you think that like what a bizarre assumption to make when did Snape ever show an interest in playing Quidditch yeah yeah it is very it is very curious I, I mean I mean I guess I was reading it as like him just being like, I literally don't have time to go into the complexities of this right now. I've mm. already spent too much time telling you guys about the bare minimum about what you need to know. Right. So I'm just going to like kind of gloss over it and you'll maybe someone will tell you about it later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, no one actually does, but. Yeah. I also feel like there are a lot of stories that we allow ourselves to buy into or that we buy into as teenagers that if this thing remains present in your life, you don't take the time to go back and like unpack it or like rethink like, wait, why did I think that way when it's so obviously something else? Because if it stays present in your life, you're, you're not forced to rethink that conception. And so Mm. it could be something like that where like as a teenager, it was convenient for him to believe like, oh, you're clearly just jealous because he's a star athlete and you're a dweeb. And then like, you know, fast forward however many years and like never stopping to think through like, oh, actually we did like some really fucked up shit to you. And there's this whole other romance line and all these other reasons why you were acting the way you were acting. Don't you think, though, that, like, once... So, like, Lily stops being friends with Snape because he, like, starts hanging out with future Death Eaters and being a Voldemort worshiper, and, like, she also knows that he wants more from her than friendship, and, like, she starts sort of being a honorary marauder or whatever mm-hmm. when her and James get together, and you would definitely think that she would have talked with them about that because i also think that a lot of why the marauders were like had so many issues with snape was because he was really bigoted and they really didn't like that in the same way that harry immediately dislikes draco because draco's like talking about the wrong sort of wizards or whatever and harry's like "Mm, fuck that yeah so i feel like it's pretty likely that at the very least Lupin is like they had issues because Snape was like super into the dark arts and like mm-hmm. muggle hate and none of us were here for that but also Lupin's yeah. not the kind of person who would throw Snape under the bus to like his student to be right. like he was a death eater and we hated him for it have fun <laughs> in potions class <laughs> like yeah. that's not gonna happen <laughs> Right. Yeah. I think if it was anyone else, I would have been like, oh, by the way, he is totally a Death Eater. But yeah, Lupin is the person who's been like, ah, you know, we're just gonna yeah. be very tactful about this. Which maybe he regrets literally five minutes later. 
Oh, jeez. Uh, all right. I have only one more editorial. Okay. Yeah. Which is obviously this is to happen for plot reasons, but I want to discuss if Sirius just just should have killed Peter, and then we could have gotten all the explanation. If that would have been a better course of action. Outcome-wise, I'm going to say yes. But in terms of, like, I think that Lupin is right that getting the kids to understand previous to murdering someone in front of a bunch of 13-year-olds is probably the the correct order of doing things. Yeah, I wonder... I wonder, like, what are the patterns in their society? Like, definitely here in the U.S., obviously, it's shoot first, ask questions later. And I think that's a mentality that goes beyond, you know, quote-unquote law enforcement. And it just is ingrained in society here. And so I wonder what their norms are around how they react to things like that. Yeah, that's a great question. I guess I'm just curious because we spend like we get we get a lot of we get a lot of information in this chapter, which overall is really good. It's like really great to get this information as readers, but I'm also kind of just like you guys are kind of on a time frame. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's been like 20 minutes. <laughs> I don't and like just a little bit stressed me out because I'm like you guys don't have you don't have time for this. You don't know it, but you don't have time for all of this. Right. So, I don't know. It's also so funny because, like, Lupin keeps being like, I'm going to be fast and then using, like, the most flowery language to explain (laughs) what he's talking about. (laughs) Like, Sirius is like, hurry up. And he's like, I'm hurrying. And then he's like, well highly exciting possibilities were open to us now that we could all transform. And it's like, that is not what hurrying looks like. (laughs) Like you do not understand what that word means. Oh my God. I feel like Sirius is the one in the relationship. who's like, I don't have time to say bye to everyone. We can just see them later. And Lupin's like, no, we gotta, we gotta say bye to everyone. It's like 30 minutes later and it's like, <laughs> we're still here. I want to go. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't have anything else, actually. I have a thing about like, but I don't actually know like what it is. I just had like a lot of feelings when Lupin was like, being a werewolf during my transformation was like so terrible. And like, I felt so like, it felt so painful and all of this stuff. And then like having my friends there with me, like helped me stay grounded in my humanity and like it made it so that I could like deal with transforming. And it just made me feel a way that I couldn't figure out how to put into words, but it felt very tender and stuff. It's just, it's really lovely. It's just finding alternative ways to, for healing. It's just, yeah. Yeah. It's really sweet in a way that's also sad. I mean, I think at one point he says, like, not only was it great, like, it was probably the best part of my childhood, which, you know, is is really, really sad, but also just so deeply wonderful that he had these people in his life who saw him and cared so deeply that they would spend ages learning this impossible skill just to be with him and bring him some comfort. 
Yeah. Yeah, like I said before, I think this like this is such a marker of what queer community is. Like we know what it is like to be so alone and we will go to the ends of the earth to find ways to take care of each other in creative and unheard of and undone before ways. You just gave me chills. I mean, also, I think it just makes us all very soft about found family narratives yeah. and stories where I'm just like, I, yeah, I would just, eat, I would just eat any found family narrative with a spoon. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and I'm just like, I yeah. just filled out an intake form for a new therapist. Everyone, please think hopeful thoughts for me that I finally found a new therapist. But the intake form was like relationships with family of origin one at a time. And then it was like relationships with your chosen family one at a time. And oh, I was like, this is so a good sign. Yeah, oh. that's incredible. Yeah. What a great thing to add to your intake form. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm excited about it. I just keep thinking about an alter, like non Voldemort alternative universe where the mothers just grow up and they're like, "We know how to take care of your werewolves. We'll just show up as the Animagi and we'll hang out and we'll teach you how to do that too." This is why I have like no room in my life for people who say that the Marauders are assholes, and I feel like it's only Snape apologists who say that. But like. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like you you're you don't know how to read you don't know how to do like critical analysis of reading like the things that you mm. got from like Snape's flashbacks are not the relevant information about who the marauders were things like this are yeah. is what you need to know about who they were and like teenagers who have like a close-knit friend group and like don't have a huge social life outside of that friend group aren't jerks Right. They're just maybe introverts or like whatever, but that doesn't that doesn't like make them assholes. Right. And also like not liking the kid who's like super into the dark arts and hates muggleborns does not make you an asshole. Like, sorry, <laughs> that's not a qualifier. <laughs> also, I feel like part of being like a teenager is sort of look at how I'm trying to say this. At least the people, like, people who I was friends with is you're sort of figuring out, you know, what is the difference between, like, inside jokes and kind of, like, playful, like, ribbing people and, like, sarcasm and, but also, like, just being too cruel. Mm -hmm. Like, it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're still, like, a lot of how you're communicating, at least when I was, like, a teenager, is sort of, like saying mean things playfully and kind mm-hmm. of like trying to figure out and sometimes failing at it being like, Oh, actually that was like maybe too mean mm-hmm. <laughs> as opposed to being like, that was like maybe playfully funny. Cause we're both, we know each other and it's not like I'm picking on you. I'm just saying a funny thing about you. I, I feel like there's like nuance in the way that teenagers communicate that I feel like there's room from the marauders to like be these like deeply kind, empathetic people. And also have moments where it's like that was cruel because like that's kind of what being a teenager is is like figuring out like those boundaries yep so and i guess also being an adult because even now it's like sometimes you're just like was that too mean (laughs) did i say that thing (laughs) always learning (laughs) hopefully if you're if you're doing being alive correctly (laughs) (laughs) oh right 
Welcome to the health and science section where we talk about things that are loosely related to health and or science. Today it's about both actually. It is. <laughs> uh, okay so I am gonna talk a little so we get some pretty unfortunate details about what when Lupin is a werewolf like what that his experience with that mm. which is that he really can't be around human beings because he wants to bite them. And in the absence of that, he just bites himself. But being around his friends and when they're Anamaji somehow is helpful. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to bring up that it's kind of like rabies in that this disease, like it affects your behavior in a way that like, you know, he becomes more aggressive as a wolf you know, it's hijacked his brain basically to be like, oh, well, we need to infect as many people as possible, you know, which is how some like viruses and like parasites do spread IRL, like mm-hmm. rabies, because rabies like, you know, it obviously causes aggression in animals to kind of act like they don't act normally because like a rabid raccoon, like a raccoon doesn't really want to come up to you and do anything with people. But if it's a rabbit, it's like, I'm a fucking bite whatever the fuck I can get close enough to. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and weirdly enough, r- rabies also in mammals causes a fear of water where, uh, ma- well, mammals won't get close to water and they won't drink anything, which results in like an increased amount of saliva and thus an increase of like affecting and like of infecting another animal. But this also comes up when people get rabies too. Like they develop a fear of like water, which is, so bonkers biology is so weird wow. yeah yeah um yeah and another and there's, there's a whole bunch of like really wild uh examples about the way that parasites and viruses can like hijack an animal's brain like there's the the really famous one that's in cats that people can get and it it can really fuck you up but uh it goes between cats and mice with the cat being the, like, end host that the parasite wants to be in. But if mice get infected, it makes them attracted to the scent of cat urine. So they end up getting closer to where cats are, mm. and the cat eats them, and then the bacteria gets inside the cat. Which is like... Whoa. Do you know that's, right. that song, that Dan Kahn song about parasites? I don't I think know. I do. No. Put a clip of it in this episode. It's fantastic. Toxoplasma gondi is a microscopic bug who carries all its genius in its genes. It may be on your fingers or the fibers of your rug, but to this bug there's more than it may seem. When Toxoplasma gets inside the system of a mouse, it doesn't make him feel that he's unwell. It gives the mouse the energy to run around the house and not detect the prowling feline smell. In fact, it makes the mouse become attracted to the cat. He doesn't show a single sign of fright. For Toxoplasma seems to know precisely where it's at. It is a very cunning parasite. The cat then turns the mouse into a ghost. And Toxoplasma joins its natural host. The cat... Yeah. So yeah. bizarre. Yeah, no, nature is wild. It's so wild. Um, my 
One of my favorite vampire books is called is a young adult novel Peeps by Scott Westerfield. Mm-hmm. And the first book is a like uh is basically about like vampirism as sort of a parasitic virus or parasite or something like similar to one of these where it just kind of like hijacks your brain and makes you do things in order to spread itself. Mm-hmm. And each chapter of the book is interspersed with facts about actual, like, parasites and viruses that do this. And it's just, like, probably more gross things than you maybe would want to know. But, like, as a nerd, I'm like, this is so fascinating and disgusting. (laughs) So, anyway. Yeah, so werewolfism is the way that Lupin describes it. Actually does seem rooted in a lot of uh, realistic ways in which parasites and viruses can spread themselves. Wow. That's really interesting. Karina, what do you have here? I think I already talked about this, like why the Wolfsbane potion is not, or was not more accessible until he came to Hogwarts. It's new. He says that it's new, but also it's very hard to brew, apparently. Like, he can't brew it himself. He needs a potion master. So, and this has come up before, I think, briefly, Jesse and I talked about it. And speculated about whether or not it, like, like Snape, when he gives it to Lupin, says, like, drink it quickly. Mm. And so we wondered if it, like, loses efficacy very fast. And so you couldn't, like, bottle it for people to Mm -hmm. be able to just, like, go buy at the apothecary. Yeah. Which is, like, why couldn't you just go to St. Mungo's and get it? You should be able to access it no matter what. You should be able to just like fucking go to the hospital that you can apparate to and be like, I need right. my wolf spin potion. Right. Yeah. So like, why isn't it more accessible? And I, you know, I, my spouse is a cancer survivor who had a stem cell transplant and remains on many medications that depending on the health insurance that we have at a given time can be hard to find or really expensive or like inaccessible and like need to be shipped to us from across the country or all kinds of weird things. And it just, it literally does not have to be that way. These drugs do not have to be this expensive. They do not have to be that difficult to access. And so, yeah, I just always feel like if we cared, this could be easier. Yes. (laughs) Like what is stopping them from having a potion master in every hospital who is making this drug on demand for the people who need it. Especially because it seems like it's a public health issue. Right. (laughs) It is a public health issue. And it's also predictable, right? Like you need it once a month on a very specific day. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. You can, you can, I mean, chart out the phases of the moon until thousands of, i'm assuming thousands of years in the future i, I don't know yeah. how you calculate the moon but yeah it's every 28 days <laughs> quite predictable <laughs> yeah it's uh, yeah it's completely unacceptable that that it's not available i also i saw a tumblr post that was like Someone from not the U.S. being like, I just realized that Americans legitimately think that their health care, like that a CT scan costs six thousand dollars. Yeah. And like, that's why they have such issues with the idea of like universal health care. And then it was like a bunch of Americans being like, oh, no, like (laughs) 
I did, wait, hang on. It's like, how much does that cost somewhere else? And I think I've, I don't know. I just want to like use this as an opportunity to be like public service announcement. Like even like, just so you know, your insurance company doesn't pay anywhere close to what you pay out of pocket Mm -hmm. for the thing. Like they pay $200 for that $6,000 CT scan, but they only pay, like they charge you 6,000 because that's how much they have to charge out of pocket to get the insurance company to cover the actual cost of the fucking thing, which is the fault of the insurance company. Right. And not how much healthcare actually costs. Right. I had a kidney stone last fall. And first of all, it was like the worst thing I've ever experienced in my life. And it was terrifying. But actually, by the time I got to the hospital, I felt better. And I like had an intake form. And then a nurse talked to me and she was like, here's the thing. I really think that you had a kidney stone and you've already passed it. And if you want confirmation, you know, pee in this cup and then you'll talk to a doctor. I peed in the cup and the kidney stone came out in the cup and you could see it. And she was like, yep, there it is. You had a kidney stone. And I was like, okay, should I leave? And she was like, well, you can, or, you know, you could talk to a doctor just to make sure that everything's fine and like get a little bit more information. And, you know, because my spouse has lots of health complications, we were like, okay, yeah, it seems important to just like get the all clear from a professional. And that's what the nurse had advised. So we were like, okay, yeah, we'll stay. The doctor came and he was like, oh, yeah, I see it in the cup. That's a kidney stone. Just drink a lot of water and don't eat too much calcium. Bye. And my bill was $5,000. Like, it did not cost that doctor $5,000 to look in the cup and see the little rock in there. Nope. And that's, like, you know, obviously, like, a really small example of what people get charged for all kinds of things. Yeah, uh, I live, I mean, Detroit borders Canada, and... I mean, since I was a kid, I've definitely known people and scores of people who are like, going to Canada to get my prescription meds because they're cheaper. <laughs> or like, you know, people going to like Mexico and the Caribbean to get their dental work done because it's like, it's some, I can afford it. I can afford to get like my crowns put on and it's like, everything is broken. <laughs> I mean, people like routinely fly to Thailand to get top surgery because the mm-hmm. cost of airfare and hotel stays to get to and stay in fucking thailand and pay for an equal quality surgery is less than just getting the surgery in the u.s that's mind-blowing yeah uh i read a tweet maybe in like march or april where someone called they said that america is a third world country in a gucci belt (laughs) (laughs) i just yeah (laughs) oh my gosh why is that so accurate it's so accurate it's so painfully accurate that is literally who we are yeah uh so yeah we can't afford health insurance here you guys i don't know how much you know this but the medications that you just were just ridiculously expensive I mean, yeah, like the cost of keeping my spouse alive is astronomical. Like we can't, 
you would think that with our combined income, we would be like really comfortable. <laughs> and like, we're just not because it costs a lot to just be alive, yep. which is so unnecessary. Yeah, with the like level of and like Evan and I, because he like pretty much every other year will have a leftovers from when he had Crohn's incident. That's like for very gross reasons that no one wants me to talk about. And that like puts him in the hospital. We have like the highest level of insurance and it's like the percentage of income that we spend on health insurance is will never not make me angry. It's like every year when it's like open enrollment, I'm like, this is my least favorite time of year. Like I just get so angry for like, I'm like, just pick one, just pick it. I don't fucking care. Like, don't talk to me about this. I can't deal with it. Don't ever tell me how much we're spending on health insurance because I I just like cannot keep this information in my brain without just wanting to like punch things. Yeah. Anyway, Harry Potter, that's... (laughs) (laughs) But also, like, okay, like, we have these issues because we live in this capitalist society and people are really selfish and also really bought into this idea that somehow, like, you can achieve, like, their nirvana of being in the 1%. But, like, why is this a problem in the the magical world? Like, why do they have capitalism? (laughs) A truly excellent question. (laughs) What the heck? (laughs) Because even as a fucking fantasy writer, J.K. Rowling has, like, no imagination. Right. Is, I think, the answer to this question. Why should they be bound by any of these limitations? Yeah, I feel like the witching world is addressing the werewolfism problem the same way America would. Which is... (laughs) Yeah. Not a good look. (laughs) No. No, I'm sorry, correction. All the werewolves would be in jail is, I think, what would happen, so. Yeah. Yep. If it was the U.S., but this is a pretty close second, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In lighter health and science news, what happens if you're in your animagi form and someone murders you? (gasps) Do you turn back to a human or do you stay a rat? I was... I was actually thinking about this because when I asked my earlier question, I just imagined like Sirius murdering Peter in rat form. Yeah, I think he was gonna. I think he was gonna like wring his little rat neck. <laughs> and then, yeah, would he ever have? I mean, because then there would have been no proof that it was Pettigrew if he stayed as a rat, or do you just automatically your body turns back to its like true form? I don't know. Yeah, does like the magic all melt away? I feel like that question is very confusing because it's like, what is the magic of like transforming and then transforming back? Because it's clearly not you have to be conscious to do it or you would just transform back if you were asleep, which we can infer doesn't happen. Right. Right. So like. And if you die with polyjuice potion in your system, you stay transformed as the person you were but like that's a potion so it's maybe different but if the idea is just sort of like the magic goes away you would think that person would also turn back mm-hmm. so yeah i don't know nor i i also don't know whose turn it is i don't remember i don't have anything else okay Franny, do you have anything else? i can always rant about healthcare systems yeah go for it <laughs> i mean the other thing is 
Why is the Wolfsbane potion new? Werewolves aren't new. Mm. Why aren't people doing werewolf research? This is so true. I think it's the same reason why certain diseases get research now and others don't, or conditions or disabilities or what have you. I think it's even bigger than that, maybe, because I just don't think that they have, like, a magical CDC. Like, (laughs) I... I don't think anyone is, like, researching fuck all about anything that comes up. <laughs> like, the, given what we see of St. Mungo's mm-hmm. later. Yeah. I was actually, like, just ranting about St. Mungo's to Evan, like, <laughs> yesterday. Where I was like, why do they still have shared hospital rooms? Like, right. these are so terrible for healing. Everyone needs their own goddamn room. And it's like, this is a magical world. Why can't we imagine a magical world where, like, in a magical building, you get to right. be in your own fucking hospital room? Like, <laughs> for God's sake. So I'm just like, this is not... I just don't think, I just, they're like, everyone either works with the ministry or like, whatever, but no one's paying anyone to do disease research. Do you think that like healthcare problems are just so rare that they don't prioritize it? I mean, no, because we see a pretty busy hospital when we do go there. People apparently are magically harming themselves like all the time. (laughs) So you would think that they would... Which seems kind of easy to do a little bit, so... Yeah. yeah. That's true. But I, I feel like advancements, you know, Dumbledore, like, discovered the 12 uses of dragon's blood, but it seems like mm-hmm. it's... There's a word for this from, like, the Victorian era, right? Like, people who, like, in their spare time do science and figure things out for funsies, like wealthy people who also are have curious <laughs> minds. What is the word for that? <laughs> I don't Whatever. Know there's a word for that. Yeah, totally. I want that job. I do too. <laughs> Give me a tower and a journal. <laughs> like, pay me to think deep thoughts and write about it. For yeah. You. That's like what a lot of philosophers and stuff were. It's just like universities right. just hired them on and we're like, you don't actually have to teach. We just want to pay you to like think. Yeah. Us. But I feel like that's a lot of where these advancements come from is people who are just like, I want to like learn about you know alchemy Mm. or potions or whatever and it's just like fun for me and then i'll publish a paper about it and then people can adapt the use of things but i don't think that's those people's primary gigs you know yeah Mm -hmm. which sucks i mean i guess okay so like if there isn't any kind of magical college that we're aware of so if we just assume that everyone is just taking on like basically like you take on a trade from like someone who knows the thing and you mm-hmm. learn from them, which has a word and I cannot think about what apprenticeship. That apprenticeship. Thank you. I mean, maybe just every once in a while, you're just kind of like, maybe we should think about dealing with this thing. Cause like, it just, it does seem weird that like, there isn't even any like eat these herbs or something mm-hmm. or like anything to be like out to deal with being aware of. Cause right. It's clearly not a new thing. Right. Right. The witching world is a mess, I think, is the answer to this question. (laughs) I think you are correct with, you are correct. They really do not have their priorities figured out. Nope. And it's also wearing a Gucci belt, and that's it. (laughs) Although, I mean, like a Ren Fair Gucci belt. Whatever the the Ren Fair version of a Gucci belt is. They've got it. 
It's like, what is it, like, embossed and, like... Yeah, it's like gilt, like, gold leaf. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. Welcome to Corrections, where we correct stuff. No one will ever be able to convince me that this is the first time anyone noticed Pettigrew on the Marauder's map. Yeah. Harry's been hanging out with this map all book. Fred and Drew have had it for years. Right. Yeah. It's, there's just no way. There's they never thought it no was way. weird that Peter Pettigrew was in their little brother's room. Right. Like, wait, who is that? Why are, who is this person that Harry and, that, that like, Ron's always hanging out with? I don't understand. That's <laughs> fucking bizarre. Yeah. It's just a giant plot hole. It really is. Is that the last section? Are we good? I think so. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Gaily Prophet. Uh, Prana, can you tell people where to find you? Yes, you can find me on Instagram. You can actually follow my work. The handle is moxie.cc on Instagram, where we post a lot of content about equity and anti-racism and just being more caring beings um you can find is that what i say first no first i say if you like this podcast make sure you check out our other podcast escape from reality that's escape spelled with a gay uh where we talk about carry on by rainbow rowell and uh you can find us all over the internet at the gaily prophet that's our social handles that's our website that's how you find our patreon so Go forth and find the Gaily Prophet and follow us and stuff because it's really good times. You should also uh, rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Where can we find? Wait, no. Uh, yes, if you. <laughs> I'm good at this. <laughs> We're doing great. Uh, you can find me on the internet on Instagram at Lark Malachi. That's L A R K M A L A K A I. That's also how you spell my website, where you can get a tarot reading. From me. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit or on Instagram at Live from Detroit. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester. The music and our spoiler warning and theme song is by Kevin McLeod. That song that I'm going to cut in about parasites is by Dan Kahn and the information is in our show notes. And until next time. Punked. Rabies. Attempted murder. Daddy. (laughs) Nature has a way of really touching you inside. It's a lesson everyone must learn. It ain't no use to try to run away or try to hide. Everyone must finally take a turn. You may be a person... Who believes it is your right to be free and independent to the core? But once you learn the ways of these exotic parasites, you'll see that independence is a bore. Toxoplasma Gandhi is a microscopic bug who carries all its genius in its genes. It may be on your fingers or the fibers of your rug 
But to this bug there's more than it may seem When toxoplasma gets inside the system of a mouse It doesn't make him feel that he's unwell It gives the mouse the energy to run around the house And not detect the prowling feline smell In fact, it makes the mouse become attracted to the cat He doesn't show a single sign of fright For Toxoplasma seems to know precisely where it's at It is a very cunning parasite The cat then turns the mouse into a ghost And Toxoplasma joins its natural host The cat Now you are living as a parasite The lancet liver fluke lives in the liver of a cow and lays its eggs inside the cow's manure. There it starts an odyssey which somehow will allow This tiny worm to work its way back to her The fluke-infested feces is then eaten by a snail Who turns the larval worm into a cyst Excreted by the mollusk in a slimy yellow trail But the snail is only first on this fluke's list The adolescent fluke worm is then eaten by an ant And it lives a while an independent worm But then it does a special thing that other insects can't. It infiltrates a group of the ant's nerves. The ant then spends its daily life as normal as before, working in the colony all day. But every night, the parasite residing at its core manipulates it in the strangest ways. By the moon, the ant will climb the tallest blade of grass and sink its mandibles into the tip. And there he will be paralyzed until the night has passed When back into the colony he'll slip And this will happen every single night Until a chewing cow will come to bite Or the emerald cockroach wasp Is famous for her reproductive ways For when she has a common household cockroach in her grasp She sinks her stinger twice into her prey The first attack will paralyze the roach's frontal legs The second one goes straight into its brain For if the wasp's to have a nesting place to lay her eggs The roach mustn't respond to any pain Venom doesn't kill the roach, but incapacitates the nerves that tell his body to retreat. 
And since the wasp has killed the roach's instincts to escape, she takes a roach antenna as a leash. She leads it to her burrow, and she climbs upon a roach and lays an egg upon its abdomen. The larva chews its way into its docile captive host and feasts upon the organs there within. The roach will stay alive another week until the worm can spin its own cocoon and climb inside. And in about a month, the larva worm has finally turned into a wasp who leaves its host and flies. And so the natural cycle is complete. So who says reproduction isn't sweet? 